I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep. So I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You guys, welcome to episode 26 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. I am your host, Troy McEady, and guest today is somebody very special to me. You may remember him from our Tensely episode. We are both Tensely stands, the only remaining Tensely stands that exist in this entire country or world. Uh, my friend, Russ Martin. Russ, introduce yourself. Hi, Troy. I'm so excited to be back. Thank you for having me. Don't get me going on Tinsley. I feel like we could have another two hours. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Tinsley is like... Tinsley to us is like what Princess Di is to some. I mean, like, we really, like, love her in a way that it's, like, almost unsavory. Troy, we can't even start. Everyone is just, like, pressing pause and going to a different <laughs> podcast on their list. <laughs> People are, like, restarting like, cereal right now because they're just over it. <laughs> so, today we're going to be talking about somebody very, uh, I don't know, prolific in my life, prolific in, mu- in, uh, in Mutt's life. <laughs> prolific in Mutt's life, that's true. It's very true. Prolific in Russ's life. I mean, this person is somebody that changed my entire childhood and possibly could be the single sole reason that I am a gay man. We're going to be talking about Shania Twain and Mutt Lang, and I am so fucking excited. Let's do this. So, like, just to start off, what are your, I guess, sort of, like, quick, like, Shania Twain for dummies, like your your childhood, especially as a Canadian, like I would love to know like your feelings of Shania Twain and what she meant to you like growing up. Okay, so she is Canada's queen of country. Obviously, we have like our Lord and Savior Celine Dion, and she is like the queen. I would say that in Canada, sort of in the way that Madonna is the queen of pop and Kylie is like the princess. It's like Celine is the queen of the country, and Shania is the like lovable princess sister uh my very best friend when i was a little little gay boy uh was regan thompson and she is the like fourth cousin of shania twain which is the funnest fact about my childhood oh my god i love it shania twain has been to carmen manitoba the small little prairie town that i am from and uh she sort of reigned supreme uh in my early years i added in the show notes uh they played Shania Twain at my sister's sixth grade elementary school graduation. So <laughs> she was an omnipresence in the culture. What song did they play? Uh, oh my God, I've, I've got it. I put it in here. <laughs> uh, You're Still the One, which is hilarious because it's like, it's a love song, but like they really honed in on like the looks like we made it part. Like looks like we made it to the seventh oh, grade. Oh, don't you love when things like that happen? Like when like 
like high schools or middle schools will like just specifically listen to like one sentence and like a literal song about like lovemaking and play it at like an an inappropriate event. <laughs> so wildly, wildly <laughs> inappropriate, but you know, Shania. But yeah, never inappropriate though, because it's Shania. <laughs> uh, what is your relationship to Shania? So Shania was like my intro to uh, country western. Um, when I was little, I was like. I was taken by her, like, immediately. I almost, like... I, f- I feel like when I think of Shania Twain, like, all these visual images pop into my mind. Because, you know, when you're little and you watch, like, VH1 and, like, MTV and, you know, you would watch, like, music videos and, like, the way that you retain those images are, like... It's like your mind is, like, snapshotting them in your head and they will remain there forever. Permanently seared in. You know? And I just have these, like, these images in my mind of Shania, like her music videos and how important they were and like just like transcendent and how like we had never really seen anything like that before especially from a country artist no we'd never seen anything from country like i wrote down in the show notes uh she sort of did what madonna and janet jackson had been doing in the pop realm uh, but nobody had ever played with femininity in a visual way yeah, uh, in the country sphere, like she was the first real like video star, I think, in country. Yeah, and that was like I got those feels. I got those like Madonna, like whatever that inexplainable feeling was of being like a gay tween or like a child and seeing Madonna like gyrate on like a bed. Like those were the feelings I got of watching Shania sit on a a a, a luggage, a suitcase in a leopard, <laughs> in a leopard hoodie. Like I just was completely taken by her and i've always felt like i don't know like especially in more recent years like in the past like 10 years like she's just so underrated and like i don't know this resurgence has been really great i'm excited that she's back and that people are kind of like you know celebrating what she's given to this world because she literally invented a genre of music that didn't exist before and i don't know i just i worship her i just think she's the best she had such a quiet period like obviously more than a decade went by between uh the last album and this one that came out i guess a week ago friday two weeks ago maybe by the time that people listen to this but i think you're absolutely right people forgot about shania a little bit and it can't be understated like how massive her imperial phase was she was one of the most famous pop stars on the planet and she wasn't a country star she was this like juggernaut of pop music Uh, it was massive it was single after single after single yeah and like well definitely this is something that i want to definitely get into when we start talking about her work with mutt but like you know I, i think she was so smart in her ability to understand that like she would capitalize and gain a bigger audience by releasing different versions of her of the same music and like instead of trying to cater to everybody literally just like giving each one of them what they want you know instead of like trying to force feed everybody the same thing and making it work like people do and that was something that like i mean even to this day like people don't take advantage of the fact that you could still do that it's something that she and mutt like created and Anybody who does it after them is copying them, and it's insane. I mean, to release the same album and change it to, like, five different genres and release it to different parts of the world, specific to the genre that they enjoy, who even thinks like that? Completely. Mutt, because he is... He's a mastermind. We'll he get, is. We'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. 
right, well, I guess we can start. Um, so Shania and Mutt began dating in June of 1993, and they married on December 28th of the same year. And they separated on May 15th of 2008, and they were officially divorced on June 9th of 2010. Um, Shania and Mutt built a country music empire together, a pop music empire. I mean, it really, like, goes way beyond country music. It's like, uh, there's no way to even kind of, like, define what they built together. Like, like I said earlier, they invented a genre of music together. And, you know, Mutt very famously cheated on Shania with her best friend. Do you know how to pronounce her last name? Her best friend's last name? No, I do not. Okay, because that's going to be an issue. It's, uh, <laughs> Mar- her, her name's Marianne. The last name is, I'll spell it for y'all. It's C-H-I-E-B-A-U-D. And I don't think my tongue will allow me to say it. Not even trying. So, no, we're just going to call her Marianne. No, call her Marianne. <laughs> so, Mutt cheated on Janiah with her best friend, Marianne. Um, this all played out very publicly. It sort of halted Shania's music career in a sense and you know she very famously lost her voice she got like you know super depressed she was really insecure she like gained all this crazy stage fright and wasn't able to perform anymore I mean he really kind of like shattered her entire existence and um there's this weird sort of like juxtaposition between their relationship and how obsessed they were with privacy and how they were able to maintain this like almost psychotic like sleeping with the enemy level privacy for like 15 years and then their divorce was like probably one of the most public celebrity divorces i think yeah at the time there's a total juxtaposition from their privacy to suddenly them being in the news everywhere for months at a time and like it was a very salacious story yeah it was very like it's like soapy. Like I couldn't. It's like very like. It's not even like. It's beyond housewives. It's like almost like a pure like. It's dynasty. It's Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> it's an ABC net like network daytime soap opera of the eighties. Like just pick one, <laughs> literally. <laughs> so I figured we could start by talking about Shania because I mean what else are we really here for Mutt is really just an accessory in the story uh, the men are always accessories in these stories <laughs> they really are <laughs> so Shania and I'm so happy that I have you here as my like Canadian correspondent because I've obviously never heard of the town she grew up in Trimmins Timmins 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 okay are you familiar with the Timmins area uh, I mean, I'm familiar with Timmins in terms of, like, I could, like, point it out on a map, but it mm-hmm. is, like, nine hours north of where I am in Toronto, even though it is in the same province. Okay. Uh, it is a real salt-of-the-earth, working-class kind of a town, uh, and it is real, real rural. It is off in the middle of nowhere in the north. It's a mining town. Uh I, like, wrote down for you, like, it's a whole, whole lot more country than Napanee, which is yeah. the closest Canadian pop comparison, like, where Avril Lavigne came from. Yes. That, like, then when you say that word, like, immediately I just have all these flashbacks of, like, Avril. Like, I'm, like, a million different words and, and songs just pop into my head of her yeah. first album. Uh, but no, it is, it's extremely country. It's extremely rural. Uh, it is the the Canadianist of the Canadian towns. It's a real good origin story for like a working class country diva. 
And like they grew up, I wrote down in my notes that they grew up poor in a way that I don't even think modern man is able to really comprehend. Like they grew up like Oregon Trail poor. Like it was, it was like it's hard to even comprehend this type of poorness, this sort of rule. Um, you know, like whatever you find, you hunt it, kill it, and eat it. And if you don't, then you don't have dinner that night. Kind of like. I mean, they grew up eating, like, moose and partridge and rabbit and, like, you know, like, they... Shania was extremely poor. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, so all of her early profiles really hone in on, like, just how poor her family was. Uh, I had written down that uh, when she was a kid, she thought that being rich was eating roast beef and living in a brick house. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All of these early profiles... Uh, carry a lot of talk of mustard sandwiches that she would take to school. Uh, mm-hmm. How sometimes they would just like put a few ingredients together to like make these real makeshift sort of uh, meals. Like they were poor to the point that like they didn't know where the next meal was coming from. Yeah, and her, I mean, her family life is also just like really. I mean, she just had like a really shitty childhood. Like she talked about like you know going to school and being afraid to accept handouts from like you know teachers because she was afraid that the teachers would put it together that she was poor and that they would take her away from her family you know like she did grow up you know grow up going to school and eating mustard and mayonnaise sandwiches and like wearing bread bags on her feet as socks in the winter because they couldn't afford them um her mother was extremely depressed her dad was really really abusive um, you know, she grew up watching her dad basically just torment and, and emotionally and physically abuse her mom. Uh, in her book, she told this story about how she, like, one of her earliest memories is, like, watching her her dad, like, punch her mom and, and knock her out and then try and drown her in a toilet. And Shania, like, picked up a chair and, and beat it over her dad's head and then he punched her across the face. I mean, she had, like, a lifetime movie network childhood. And it's, like... It's insane that she grew up to be such a, like, a sweet, sort of humble, normal, normal in a sense, person. And she's had this, like, insane sort of, like, Lindsay Lohan in the, in the wilderness childhood. Completely. Uh, it, w- it was her stepdad, right? Because her, uh, her real dad or her birth father uh, left when she was two years old. And then she was adopted by her stepfather, uh, who was indigenous. Yes, so I guess we should mention because that's a pretty big, big part of her story. So her father Jerry um, was a Ojibwe Native American, and her mother, uh, her name was Sharon, and she was Irish Canadian. Um, Janaya also talks about being sexually abused by her dad, which is something that she doesn't talk about a lot. But she wrote about it in her book, and you know, when, when they were super young, that was like kind of the turning point where her mom she told her mom that her dad was sexually abusing her. And they, like, ran off and went to a shelter, but they were so poor that they had to end up coming back. Um, and then when she got a little bit older, her dad had a uh, a reforestation business where they would just basically plant millions of trees a year uh, all over Canada. And she worked with her dad. She was a crew boss. She had 13 men on her crew, and they would plant trees all over the place. And she did this from the time she was 17 to 21. Um, there's like this image in my mind of Shania Twain with like a tied up 
like flannel and a chainsaw that I like. <laughs> yeah, no, but she literally had an axe and a chainsaw and was like off in the bush. Uh, <laughs> like that's that's an accurate representation of, of what really happened. And like, I don't know. I just there's this whole. I mean, it's important to mention to mention her background because there's this whole thing that happens later in her life where like her race becomes this huge sort of thread that's woven into her like zeitgeist and it became this big huge deal um but she was adopted by her stepdad um her real father was i don't remember what his nationality was i'm pretty sure i read that he was like irish and german or something i did not read either so not sure um but it doesn't matter neither here nor there shania is a white woman a beautiful white woman with high cheekbones and, and glistening hair but like she's you know her her dad jerry was the only man that she ever really knew in her life so that's how she identified herself that's the box that she checked and people made it a huge deal later um she was like they were very early on the like nanny assistant scandal but they were also very early in on cultural appropriation like i don't even know if the words cultural appropriation uh were around at the time but it was a huge scandal early in her career that she had claimed this indigenous culture and you know in 2017 i don't think that a white pop star could ever get away with this like i think that that would sort of be an iggy azalea end of your career if it came out Uh, oh yeah but at the same time i do i believe that she was raised within this culture that it was a shared culture that was her culture uh it's interesting to think about sort of this in the 90s compared to like how we treat race and indigenous cultures in 2017 you know it's one of those things i wrote down in my notes that the way that it was handled by both her and the media is like first of all like you said this is something that would never happen today it's like so 90s and it's one of those like unintentional skeletons in your closet that you don't think when you become famous will like haunt you Mm -hmm. you know like she grew up her whole life just like sort of claiming this because it's how she was raised and then it ended up becoming this unintentional like scandal uh, and I always wonder, like, I always think about, like, if I became, like, Shania famous one day, like, if, if I became, like, a world-famous female pop superstar, which could happen. <laughs> could I? Um, like, what would be my unintentional skeleton in my closet, like, that I forgot about, you know, that, that I didn't even think about? Right. I, no, I think that we all have them. I think that we all have something that would be picked apart. Uh, I love it when people go on reality television and they don't realize that, like, the tragedy Teresa Judice of it all like yeah. oh I haven't paid taxes in six years like <laughs> somebody is going to pick up on that when like the feds see me on television in this new money like disgusting mansion <laughs> but uh, there is like there's an unintentional version of that too and I don't think there's like any malice at all in terms of her identifying in that way or presenting in that way. I totally agree with you it, that's yeah that's from what I picked up it was just like it was completely unintentional and yeah, it was, it wasn't malicious in any way from Shania's part, but it just made her look insane. And especially at the beginning of her career, because I think she was like in this headspace of trying to paint this like image of, you know, cause she wasn't really open about, you know, her, her childhood or besides the fact that they were poor, she never really like delved off into like how abusive it was. Um, and they painted this like sort of fairy tale rags to riches story for her. 
um, which it was, but it was like told in a way that was like perfect for like lifetime, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it hurt her too, because there was this huge impression that Shania was cooked up by Mutt in some sort of a like pop star warehouse where they came up with this story. Uh, it was a really big thing early in her career that she never toured. Uh, I think it was like 1997 or eight before she went out on a full international tour. Yeah. Uh, and so that was one of the things that people picked on uh, when they said that she was this mythic creation in a like Lana Del Rey, Lizzie Grant sort of a way. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Lana Del Rey is like the perfect description of like <laughs> a fictional, like fairy tale pop figure that's just been planted on the, like the world. <laughs> um, but so she first started singing when she was eight. She would sing at these local bars in her town and her parents would basically speak to like whatever band was playing at the time. And they would go ask the band if they, you know, if their little girl could come up and like strum her guitar and sing them a ditty on stage. And then, she, you know, she was like literally a little girl. And then when the bar would close and they'd stop serving alcohol at midnight, she would get on stage and like perform an original song that she had written at eight. Um, <laughs> she's a prodigy and, uh, that's how she kind of started. And that's when, how she met her, uh, her future manager, Mary Bailey, who was also a country singer herself. And, uh, in her late teens, Shania was like, so just sort of like making the rounds in Ontario. She was like writing music, like, getting to know producers, like, networking. Um, she was doing, like, backing tracks and, like, background vocals and a lot of people's songs. Um, and, I mean, she was also very adamant about the fact that, like, she didn't want to just, like, be a country artist. And, like, everybody at the time thought it was so insane that she wanted to be this, like, country pop artist and nobody really took her seriously. Like, nobody understood her vision, which is so, I mean, like... It's amazing how close-minded, even still to this day, but especially in the 80s and 90s, the country music world. I mean, it's insane. It's just so ridiculous. The country music world is on a totally different timeline. <laughs> like, in the year 2017, they, like, still go to Target and pick up albums. Like, <laughs> physical copies of, like, compact discs. Like, that is happening in the country music world right now. Uh, and... I don't know, the Taylor Swift of it all, like, it's it's nuts. And I think that that is a huge, it had a huge impact on Shania when she did eventually break the way that she was treated and the way that she got received uh, from the country music world. They were just shocked by the navel. Oh my God, the navel, God forbid. They're like, where are her high-waisted jeans and tucked in t-shirts? Uh, and she really got branded as a sex pot. Like this, yeah. this is yeah. like we're jumping ahead, but uh, I think that it's very interesting that Shania got branded as this like vampy, very sexy uh, pop star. Which I guess she was, but she was only really that for country music. Uh, right. I I wrote down just like to contextualize it. Uh, Shania's first album, so like even before she broke, which is like I think there's two or three years in between the, the first album uh, and the second when she broke. Uh, but the first album was the year after Bed, uh, Bedtime Stories by Madonna. And her debut album came out the same year as Janet Jackson, Lowercase J, Ellipses. So 
at the time, there was so much sex in popular music. There was so much sexuality.、Uh, the world was really already getting used to these like big pop megastars、uh, being so sexualized and having、uh, a conversation about women's sexuality and empowerment as part of their like visual image and package.、Uh, but when Shania did it in like. A slight flirty way, country music lost their mind. They lost their shit, and like it's like you said, like what she was doing in comparison to Madonna, like simulating masturbating on like a, a silk bed, like a silk linens. Like, are you kidding me? Because she was wearing a, a leopard print hooded belly revealing shirt, and they were up in arms, like they hated her. Like she was like some wild whore going out and like she was doing nothing. I mean, she literally was like singing the most wholesome. Let's just really break that down for a second because like the lyrics of a Shania Twain song could not be any more appropriate. No, no, not at all. There's nothing inappropriate about anything she ever sings. If anything, that was like. Something that you know that was another thing that they hated about her that she wasn't deep enough and her lyrics weren't you know it's as if country music is known for being so deep like like country artists are known for like writing such like incredibly like thought provoking songs like come on she thinks my tractor is sexy yeah like, get over yourself are you kidding me everybody just hates women and I'm over it、uh, the folk singer Steve Earle called her the world's highest paid lap dancer. Which, like what the fuck? Rude, rude, rude. Not Christian. Like, first of all, sir, please stop talking about women that way. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to raise my hand. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. It's not a polite thing to say about a woman. Like, you have a mother, sir. <laughs> you have a sister. You have an aunt.、Um, have you met a woman? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also important to mention that on November first of nineteen eighty seven, Shania's parents died in a car accident, and it basically changed her entire life. Like she was on this sort of road to getting out, and you know, becoming this like this country singer and and leaving that town and finally like making it. And then you know, she had moved out, and she was living with different producers, and you know, kind of traveling all over the place. And then her parents died, and she was immediately forced to go back home. She had to raise her siblings.、Um, you know, she was responsible for their. You know, all of a sudden, she's like this teenager, and she was responsible for their estate and selling their house and their mortgage and their tax information and her dad's business. And like, she was just all of a sudden plopped with all this insane responsibility.、Um, and eventually, they moved to Huntsville, Ontario. Where she and her her manager basically got her a job working at this、uh, this skyline resort called Deerhurst, which becomes really important in her life. It's where she learned how to perform. So Troy, I moved to Toronto when I was eighteen years old,、uh, and from like southern Manitoba, from the prairies. And let me tell you how excited I was the first time that I got to drive by the Deerhurst Resort. <laughs> oh my god! Tell me everything. <laughs> so Deerhurst, like by comparison to Timmins,、uh, Deerhurst is like cottage country. It's very white people. It's very.、Uh, it's actually like pretty like rich.、Uh, around that area is where people from the city have like real nice cottages. Okay.、Uh, so yeah, she was she was a lounge singer. Out there, sort of the regular act,、uh, where this is where she really started to form the thing, 
that later became Shania. Oh my god, I can't believe you've driven past the Deerhurst. <laughs> I've driven past Deerhurst several times. Deerhurst is like much closer to like the, to the city where I live. That is amazing. It's also, I mean, we'll mention it later, but it's where she got married. I mean, like, that is an important... Have you been inside that place? I have not been inside it. I just, I've been past the, the turnoff. It's, yeah. Holy shit. If I ever make my way up there, like, we have, we have, to, go. <laughs> we have to go have a cocktail at the Deerhurst. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Do, do you have a Cosmo here? What's the Shania cocktail here? <laughs> what does Shania have? You know, for Shania, it was, like, fucking spritzer with, like, like cherry... Like cherries in it or something. It was like something super wholesome with no alcohol. <laughs> She'll have a Shirley Temple. Yeah. The, Shania, the Shania Temple. The Shania is a Sprite, honey. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it's also important to mention, too, is the last sort of... Uh, this is where Shania got her name. I, I thought that Shania got her name from uh, a tour wardrobe stylist. Yeah, at the Deerhurst. Oh, they had a tour wardrobe stylist there? Yeah, she did quick changes because um, she was doing a... Well, she was doing a country western Vegas, like kind of like a. It was a Broadway number. Yeah, no, it was it was a cabaret sort of a thing. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the quick change woman at the uh, at the resort. Her name was Shania, and um, it was. And it, Shania just loved it. She thought it worked well with Twain. And uh, it's what she decided to later turn... I mean, she stole the woman's name, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, no, there's a... I, we both watched, I think, uh, the CMT special. Oh, that yeah. was pretty early on in her career. Uh, and I watched the part where she explains the name, like, 14 different times. <laughs> I just want to... <laughs> I just want to turn it into, like... Uh, like disgusting scary video where like and her name was Shania and it's like I stole her soul <laughs> well that's the other thing it's like her name was also like a huge you know a point of contention in the 90s like that isn't her real name her name isn't really Shania I no one's names are their real names let's are you kidding like how many people in the entertainment industry have a stage name? Like, are you kidding? And people were so pissed. But, I mean, she also, like, I think the reason they were mad about it is because she said that it meant, like, <laughs> Shania said in an interview that the name went, On My Way. <laughs> and it doesn't mean anything. Like, it was proven later that there's literally no, like, the, the guy who wrote her biography said that there's not even a word that sounds like that that's similar to Shania. So she literally made that up. What what's happening right now is you and I are trying to excuse Shania's naughty behavior of the past. I mean, you know, she came up with a story for the name she fucking stole from her a, a woman that did her quick changes. Like, who cares? So what? Who cares? I'm okay with it. <laughs> Whatever. Um so years passed, her siblings all grew up, they were able to like move out and get jobs and do their own thing, and she ended up creating this demo of original songs that were written and performed by her. Her manager sent the demo out um, while she was still working at the Deerhurst, and uh, a record label heard it. Well, she sent it off to a bunch of record labels. Um, Mercury Nashville Records heard it, they loved it, and within like a couple months, they signed her. She changed her name to Shania, and honey... The rest is history. April 20th, 1993. <laughs> I mean, just a, a few days after my birthday, there's a reason for that. <laughs> um, 
And I think so the controversy, I think the the match was lit during this exact time when this Nashville newspaper reported that Shania's father was actually her adopted father and that her dad was this white guy. And, you know, the story that she had sold to like the record producers who then like projected this image out into the world was that she was this Native American woman who like was cutting down trees in the woods, you know, wearing bags on her feet. Um, all she had was her guitar and a notebook and a couple ditties in her head. And she, now she's a pop star. You know what I mean? And, and people felt very slighted by that. So that was the first sort of like the domino effect of, of the 10 years worth of just cultural appropriation. <laughs> well, and like, to be fair to like the public who felt slighted, the cover of her first album had a husky on it. <laughs> And a fire on the open tundra. <gasps> oh my god! Stop. And Shania like shivering in like a big coat with like a fur collar. We have to talk about her first album cover. I really want to talk about it just for a second. Um, I can't even like when I was doing research and I, I, you know, there's this this separation between very early Shania, where she still had her 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 feet were still sort of in the mud. She was still brooding and tooting and kicking and bucking and. And, and Ryder Tractor. She was still a country western star at that point. And, like, the difference between her early album covers and, like, later Shania is so hilarious to me. Like, your description is not at all in any way fabricated. That is exactly what her first album cover is. Yep. <laughs> like, like, she is in a fur in there. <laughs> she was selling that story. On top of her head. Yeah. And I mean, like, who can blame her? I mean, that's a story to sell. Like, you grew up with a Native American father who, like, you were working chainsaws and, you know, eating from fucking tin plates. And, like, I mean, that's a story to sell. I would definitely... And, like, and country music stars also need a story. Like, they demand a rags-to-riches story. They need to know that you were, like, shitting on a pot and that you were beaten and, like, all this shit. Like, they demand those things, especially from women. And while the story, like, I think probably for American audiences uh, was something that they were very unfamiliar with, you know, like, that is, like, a culture of uh, indigenous people all over the country in Canada, in rural areas, on reserves. Uh, Like, her way of life and her experiences growing up uh, are the experiences of a lot of people in Canada. Yeah. She's, she's just trying to be relatable. Exactly. <laughs> um, so Shania's self-titled album was released um, on November 20th, like you said, 1993. Um, it didn't initially sell, like, an outstanding amount of records. It wasn't, like, some giant, like, meteor hitting the earth. But her later successes helped the album sell more. And um, it's now been officially certified platinum. Uh, I mean, look, I love Shania's first album. I love all of her albums, legitimately. This is, like, a little bit too rooted in country for me, personally. I like her second albums and beyond a little bit more. I love The Woman in Me. Uh, and I, you know, I, I like all of, but, like, this is, like, this is, like, real country as Shania. Oh, although, what made you say that was, like, a pop single? That's very true. God damn it. What a smart woman. A businesswoman. Underrated and one of like the few non Lang songs in the canon. Which we should celebrate. celebrate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get to the mud. Yeah. So unfortunately now we have to talk about the monster that is Mutt Lang. 
Um, there's nothing redeeming about this man at all. And if there is, we'll never know because he's never spoken a word in public in his life. I mean, what's redeeming is, like, the great music he made. Yeah, that's very true. What's redeeming is he gave us an entire decade of Shania Twain and helped shift our entire culture. I guess that's very true. <laughs> so, Mutt was born in uh, Zambia. He was raised in uh, Durban, South Africa, which I didn't know. I had no idea. I mean, with the name Mutt Lang, how would you ever really be able to place where a person's from? Well, his name is Robert John. His first name's Robert? Robert, isn't that weird to think about? Oh, that makes me uncomfortable. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. you got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So, go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate, and then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast, you'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast, um, you'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery join june parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s with new chapters added every week the excitement never ends download june's journey now on your android or ios device or play on pc through facebook games